Thank you for listening to this episode of the Following Films Podcast, a movie podcast that takes you on a weekly journey into the world of cinema and the minds of the talented individuals who shape it. I'm your host, Chris Maynard, and today we're joined by directors Cecilia Alvarando and Sarah Enid Hagee to discuss their work on You Were My First Boyfriend. And after the break, Tyler McIntyre joins us to discuss his latest film, It's a Wonderful Knife. Listen, do you hear that? We have a new theme song. Composer Jerry Smith, known for Sorority Babes at the Slimeball Bolarama Part 2, and Puppet Master Dr. Death, did it. He's the one who did our new theme song. Pretty stoked about it. Love it. Uh, you can find Jerry on Twitter by following at Jerry is just okay. In You Were My First Boyfriend, filmmaker Cecilia Alvarando sets out on a reflective quest to reconcile and reconnect with the tortured teen years of her 1990s adolescence and discover a path towards self-accept. In It's a Wonderful Knife, Winnie's life is less than wonderful one year after saving her town from a psychotic killer on Christmas Eve. When she wishes she was never born, she finds herself magically transported to a nightmarish parallel universe with the murderous maniac now back. She must team up with a misfit to identify the culprit and get back to her own reality. But before we dive into both interviews, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Bookman's. Bookman's is your go-to independent bookstore where you can find an extensive selection of books, movies, music, and more. They truly believe in the power of storytelling and in the magic of the cinematic arts. So if you're looking to expand your film, music, or book collection, be sure to visit your nearest Bookman's. There's always something truly wonderful to uncover. Have you followed the following films podcast on Spotify? If you have, well, thank you. If you haven't, head on over to Spotify. Search for following films and give us a follow. Really does help the show. And if you'd like to support the show by becoming a paid subscriber, go to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash following films slash support. And if for some weird reason you didn't catch that, you can find the link in the show notes. You're My First Boyfriend will be available on Max November 8th, and It's a Wonderful Knife will be in theaters on November 10th. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks. Hey, Cecilia. Hey, Sarah. How are you today? Good. Super nice to meet you. You as well. Um, I was really nervous about seeing this film um, because this type of project can go, in my estimation, one of two real directions where it can feel like an exploration of something universal or it can feel like something masturbatory. And I think you touched on the universal truth here that I, even though this is deeply personal in your story, Cecilia, this absolutely speaks to a white kid from suburbia that had a wildly different experience to, uh, to you. But yeah, I feel like this was my story in a lot of ways that I was seeing here. And the idea of perception of memory and how you really tackled that, I think is really important and something that we all grapple with. And I, I think that it's just the stories we tell ourselves aren't necessarily the truth. There's a part of it. They're our truth, our lived experience, but it doesn't mean it's the whole story. And there's something really powerful about creating reenactments that help to get to a deeper truth, which is just something really powerful. So this is a really wonderful film. So congratulations on it. Thank you. Thanks so much. So I guess the first question is the execution behind this, deciding to tell this story in this way, um, where you could have gone back and simply done interviews and said, okay, this is how I remember it. Is this how you remember it? You have that element. Um, at times it's deeply funny. At other times it's 
just really raw and emotional. But then honestly, some of the heaviest, hardest hitting moments are when you're recreating these and there's a distance between it, which is something that's really powerful. What led you to decide to tell the story this way? Yeah. Um, well, I think the first thing is, um, you know, I reached a point in my life around 20 years, like the 20 year high school reunion time that, um, I realized that I had sort of reinvented myself. I thought I had grown and, you know, had gotten over it all. And then this period, this moment of the 20th reunion started, you know, taking me back to these memories. And I, started re-examining them and realized just how primal the feelings were. Like I started and how visceral these memories were, where they would just bubble up almost in an inarticulate way. They would just, it was like, it was like having a nightmare. It was like, you know, a bad dream that you can't wake up from. And so, um, but as I started examining these memories, I also realized that they, you know, by chance, I think had a kind of archetypal cast to them that like, the most primal memories I had of humiliation and desire actually corresponded to the tropes of the American teen movie. And that was really interesting to me. Um, and Sarah, who co-directed the film with me, she she came on board later. We started, I started working on this film in around 2016 and she didn't come on board until 2021. But wow. this was a big part of, yeah, it's, you know, it's hard to get the money. <laughs> um, so that <laughs> once we actually fundraised, for the film, we were ready to go. I hired Sarah because Sarah and I both have this love of teen movies. And I think that, you know, you started by talking about the the potential for something to feel narcissistic or self-involved. Um, and, um, you know, we really wanted this to feel like, I think that the, the, the choice to um, have our reenactments really be in dialogue with pop culture and pre-existing um teen memories is it was a way for us to get at the more in the archetypal you have the universal and so we wanted it to feel like an opportunity for like a catharsis by proxy where people yes. can actually see themselves in these memories and experience and and be triggered in their own way <laughs> Because it feels familiar, because we've all seen these movies, we all have this kind of perverse collective memory, for better or for worse. Um, So it's like we're all living in our own teen movie in a way. So we were really deliberately playing with that. And I mean, I can say more about the reenactment process, but um, that's sort of where it was coming from. That's sort of the rationale for why we did it that way. And for you, Sarah, what was your involvement and sort of did you help choose and shape the particular callbacks that you were going to and you know opening with what i'm assuming was carrie and then going into these other sort of films and saying okay at the very least as a director like okay i get to try on my uh brian de palma shoes for a minute that's that's got to be fun so (laughs) yeah i mean uh the Genesis of this relationship. I mean, when I started, uh, I was just going to be maybe a consultant. We weren't really exactly sure what the partnership was going to look at look like. I mean, it's it's a documentary, but we really approached it as though it was a fiction. Like we were writing at this fiction teen film and talked all the time about like, well, what if you made a movie of your life? Um, but to your point, it's like, how many films can you point out and reference like that you're like, oh, that's absolutely me. You know, we have to cast ourselves onto these like Molly Ringwalds or whatever, but it's not, you know what I mean? But rarely yeah. is it actually us. Um, and so 
So it started just like as a bunch of interviews, really, where we were just, she was just telling me all of the stories. And then we were just kind of pulling out the ones that seemed the richest and that seemed that the most potent, and then started to arrange them along the spine of like a teenage genre film. Um, and then from there, we storyboarded every single one. And we always knew, she knew from the beginning that she wanted each one of them to be, to also reference like very specific genres, you know? So it's like, we have the horror, we have the the teen romance, the comedy, mm-hmm. you know, the buddy movie even, you know? Um, so during that time, as we were writing, we were also just watching, we were watching everything, we were rewatching everything, Um, and we were just pulling, we were just pulling from all of these different sources. Um, so anyone, any one of these reenactments usually has at least three different films that it's referencing at any moment. Um, can I give an example here? Can I just give an example? So can I give an example? So for example, there's a, there's a classroom scene, right? Where we're moving through a classroom and we're all wearing Catholic school uniforms. There are the, the, the way the camera moves there, that is taken pretty much directly from Heather's. Yeah. We're moving through the classroom and identifying the various, you know, characters. The archetypes that vary much in Heather's. Yeah. And then there's a, also a split diopter um, shot where we are revealing, um, you know, this character, Joe, who's based on a, a, a girl who was actually bullied in my middle school years. And that, that is referencing a shot from Carrie Yep. Where um you have her crush in the foreground and Carrie is like looking at her crush. So that's just an example of how, you know, like how deliberately derivative we were. <laughs> um some were really intensely direct like that, and other others it's like it's really it's like really hidden and maybe only we only we would get it, but like it's it's all in there. So that was, you know, that was the beginning in terms of just the reenactments, if we're you know. And- could you talk a little bit about the vulnerability that is on display here in this film? Cause the film opens with the idea of a nightmare of having to relive your youth going back to your high school, middle school years. And then to me, the real nightmare is going into my closet and finding all those trapper keepers with my high school poetry and opening up that wealth of garbage. Um, you're a much better writer than I was. So I wouldn't probably be as embarrassed if <laughs> I wrote like you, but when you first start reading that stuff to Joel, I was dying. It was, it's just so, but that is hard to do because that's, you're, that's pointed squarely at yourself in that moment, but it speaks to all, all of us were that way. I think at that age. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say, I want to be nicer to your younger self than you're being, because um, there's something very beautiful and very sweet and very tender in, in that, uh that, juvenilia um i uh and i and it's funny because you've had a lot of um cast and crew and friends of the movie starting to dig up all their own old photos and i mean sarah did this when we first met um and it's something that like i don't think people understand how hard it is until you do it (laughs) like just and when i started making this film like i literally didn't want to look at any old photos of myself i was very uh, you know, and I remember my my producer, our producer, Ina, saying like, oh, you're so cute here. And I was like, no, I wasn't. I was disgusting. And, you know, how can how can you say that? And like, you know, so we, I think we all feel that level of of cringe when we yeah. are faced with our younger selves. But that's that's a big part of the purpose of this movie is to actually um, reconcile 
the young Cecilia and the adult Cecilia and, and make friends again. I mean, that sounds really corny, but I think it's actually like so many people walk around in adulthood with this like deep, deep antipathy for who they used to be and, um, and cruelty towards that younger person. And actually it's like, I was pretty awesome kid. I was actually a lot more awesome than I gave myself credit for it. There's a, there's a way in which we're reproducing all the crappy things that other people said to us or did to us, you know? Right. Um, so, and you know, you say something about vulnerability. I think, you know, the other implication here is that I was brave and I have to say that like, people say that all the time, but I think it was more like I was just crazy and <laughs> Like there's a fine you know, line though. It's hard to tell the difference definitely, sometimes. Definitely. But it was also, it was just too funny. Like the, there's, there's this movie starts with a kind of what if scenario. Like what if I did track down my high school crush and read to him from my diary? What then, you know? And, and it was just too funny. Like it's just, and so I think humor and absurdity really helped to kind of take the edge off of some of the intensity. Cause it's just so dumb. And so, but so, so it's, you know, it's silly, but it's also very profound. Oh, oh, absolutely. And I think that it's the, the owning who you were in a positive way is so important because we tell ourselves these stories of what we were like. And, you know, I tell this version of, that I know is utter bullshit of this, like this punk rock kid that, you know, was really, really just deeply wounded at the time. And then I look back at these pictures and it's like, no, that wasn't the guy. I was this goofy kid watching kids in the hall, much like yourself on midnight on, on HBO. And I laughed a lot and I had a lot of fun. Now I want to tell myself that I was tortured and, ang- and riddled with angst, but that's just the really bad poetry that I was writing. That's what that was. Cause that was all written in a way that I expected somebody to read it one day. There was very little honesty, in that self-reflection. I- I'm not sure if that's the same experience for you, but. Well, I also think it's easier to think of yourself as a young punk than to think of yourself as a young nerd. True. Like, there is, I think, a way in which this movie, Sarah and I have talked about how um, how willing we were to embrace the uncool. Um, there's a way in which this movie is not trying to be cool. It's very earnest. It's very sincere. And uh, we're being kind of deliberate about that because, um, you know, I, I, I reached a point in adulthood where I was kind of embarrassed that I was such a Monty Python and Kids in the Hall nerd. No. And... Those are the cool kids to me. Yeah, totally fine. Fair enough, fair enough. But also, like, I was also obsessed with, like, you know, period pieces. That's not cool. Like, that's, you know. Scorsese, that's that's, that's the reference you have in there. That's not a bad one to go to. So really, no, I mean, yes, nerdy and smart, I guess, but still nerdy, still nerdy. But yes. the point is that, like, I think that this movie is trying to reclaim uh, those, those trappings of youth that we kind of, you know, suppress and, and, and try and go, Oh, that wasn't me. You guys talk a little bit about, um, to me, one of the moments that really hit me hard in this movie was something I wasn't expecting, but it's one of the reenactors when the young actress that you have playing Joanne, um, when she is in that moment and telling the story about an experience that she had with this principal's daughter and it just i wasn't expecting it but i you know literally started crying in that moment it was just so unexpected to come out of that and i think a lot of that is built in the way that you if you would have started the film with something like that i wouldn't have been warm to it but the way that you unfold this arc this emotional arc in this that you are 
allowed in and allowed to be vulnerable through everything else. And I think that just that then you see this moment with her from the outside and just, yeah, to me, you can kind of encapsulate the whole film in that one moment. Yeah. I mean, I think I want to set this up and then give it to Sarah. You know, Sarah wore a lot of hats with this movie. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you saw the credits, but she's not only co-director, she also was co-writer, but also co-editor. And I think this speaks to the co-editing that she and Shannon Kennedy, our other editor did, um in making those decisions about where are we supposed to go on this journey like that's very much i think something that i have to give you know them credit for really figuring out um well yeah i mean i will get i'll talk about hannah in a second because we didn't we didn't expect that either but i i will say you know there were a lot of moments of catharsis in the process in the making you know there were a lot of moments where Cecilia cried. She, you know, there was a breakthrough. There was a, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of moments that were really intense. And so one of the hardest things about editing this actually was like, it's all good. Like it was like just a wealth. Like it was just so, there was so much. And so trying to sort of figure out, you know, what, what the payoff is when, um, was incredibly tough. Um, but that this moment that you're, you're talking about, you're right. It's like, it, it had to be, it had to be earned and it had to come over the course of everything that we had learned before. But Hannah is someone who came to us who she's never acted before. This is her first time. She's just, um, she's in drama class. She's interested in acting. Um, and she was phenomenal. The first time that we ever interviewed her over zoom, she told us that she was being bullied. She she told us what that experience was like. She told us that this was the reason she wanted to be in this film is because she was like, I really appreciate what you guys are doing and I think it's really important. Um, so yeah, we didn't, we didn't know. <laughs> we didn't know that that moment was gonna happen with her. And can uh, I say something else to follow up? So she, you know, she's 15, this girl, and she has more poise in her like pinky than I did at that age. Um, and I, I and just I wondering... do now. Right, she's exactly. so well-spoken and thoughtful and just, my God. And this is the thing is when she, you know, there's this moment that you're referring to where she tells the story about being bullied by these seven-year-olds and she's hilarious, but also super, super grounded. And it's this really great you know we've been talking a lot about the ways that you know girl on girl bullying in particular is so easily dismissed because so often it's not it's really insidious and she really captures how insidious it is it's like this gaslighting it's you know it's these being like what is wrong with you i don't know why you're reacting that way you know it's really not a big deal and she at 15 is able to really represent that and critique it in a way that, you know, that's why she had, we were like, she has to have this moment in the movie. Oh, and I uh, think uh, oh please. Yeah. Sorry. I just wanted to add, I think, but I think what you're also getting at is this other part of the film that was really crucial, which was shooting behind the scenes and shooting the making of. And so we, we wouldn't have captured that if we weren't shooting the, the documentary aspect and the conversations that were going on around all of these reenactments. Um, and, and we, we, that's why I said, like, we didn't know that was going to happen, but we knew that the process was incredibly, incredibly valuable, that we could just make this teen movie with Cecilia playing herself, but that that was not, that was never the point. Well, it's almost like you took the art of a killing and, pl- and applied it to uh, John Hughes. So 
Listen, if somebody says John Hughes by way of active killing, or is it the other way around? I don't know. The active killing by way of John Hughes. I don't know. I'll take it. I'll take it. Something along those lines. But between that and it, it is that idea of this, like there's something about that distancing that we have that when we recreate something or we dramatize a moment that we're able to accept it. When we have somebody that stands on a soapbox and tells us a story, we might be engaged. We probably won't be though. We don't like receiving our our sort of, you know, moral tales that way. We almost, we have to have a distance of this like fakery (laughs) for whatever reason. Yeah. I also just want to say that for us, you know, I have been obsessed with reenactment as a, as a possibility for a long time. Um, And I mean that not just in terms of like how typical documentaries use reenactment, which is to sort of dramatize something that's missing. Um, It's more about the process. It's about theater. It's about embodied experience. It's about using hair and makeup and props to uh, put yourself into the past and re- relive the past. So I I think of it as the closest you can get to time travel. And mm. so there is, that was also something that we wanted to capture in the behind the scenes, as Sarah's saying, if you just saw the reenactments, you wouldn't understand what I was undergoing and how, you know, deliberately triggering uh, the, the whole process was. Um, and so you know, it's, it's, it's very much about undergoing and like sort of surrendering. And I think what you're, what you're speaking to is it's also a very, to go back to vulnerability, it is a kind of surrendering process. I don't, I, we couldn't have known what was going to happen or how this was going to make me feel, you know? So it was, it was a big experiment. Well, you can't dictate change. You can't say, I'm going to go through this experience and this is who I anticipate I will be. Well, you can say who you'll anticipate, but if you're open to the actual process, then you don't know who you're going to be on the other side of this. And how do you feel now that you've had a little bit of time with it? How do you, are you able to hug your 15 year old self a little bit easier? Oh, sure. I don't know if I can hug my bullies yet, (laughs) but I can hug myself. I can hug my best friend. I can hug my, uh, my sister who's in the film, my partner, you know, there's, um, I, 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 it's funny. I've been saying like, don't try this at home or do try this at home, you know, depending on what, what you have the stomach for. Um, I, I'm a lot less resentful. I will say like, I, I, I genuinely, uh, I, I haven't I haven't really had much conversation with people who were really unkind to me. So that's why I'm saying I don't know how I would react because none of them wanted to be in the movie. And none of them returned my calls. Um, Fair enough. But, yeah. But I but I do think that like, I mean, even just having to not just look at old pictures of myself, but have to be on camera and see myself and you know, there's a kind of exposure therapy just doing that. Like, I'm not a trained actress. I never wanted to be an actress. Um, this is not the point. Um, and so, yeah, I do feel a lot freer. I also feel like, you know, we had so much fun making this movie. That is, I don't want it to get lost. Like, it's 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 deep and it's intense at times. But there was something so um, wonderful about making art out of pain. That's like, I keep you know, thinking like, um, well, I don't really know how much to to reveal. Um, you can decide if you want to leave this in or not. But, um, you know, I when we were making it, I kept thinking, what would what would my friend Caroline think of this movie? 
what would she, uh, you know, that was, we, you know, a kind of North star for us was like, we want to make a movie that she and I would watch together and laugh. And I think we did that. And um, so, yeah, I think, I think it was hard, but it was also really delightful. And I'd never done anything comical before. And like, geez, it's really helpful. Oh yeah. There's a reason I've never been to a funeral where I didn't laugh at some point. It's, it's how we process pain. We laugh, we find humor, we find levity because if you allow it to just be darkness, it'll crush you. You you can't process all that at once. You have to find moments where you laugh, but um, yeah, th- this is a, I, I think the other reason that somebody like you were saying this uh, 15 year old actress was so compelled to be in this film. It's because it's, that one step removed also it's kind of the same way when you're in middle school and you're watching my so-called life it's you're watching kids that are just a few years ahead of you and it's just that little distancing once you're in high school and you're watching it about high school it doesn't feel as honest anymore so you were even talking about that a little bit with you and caroline and you wanted to be in the movie now you're done with watching it you want to experience it but at that age you can start watching things that are a little bit older now you have this kind of reverse thing where you have these adults looking back at this and so i think that that experience is such a short window of time that is so profound though, that it needs to be um, owned and properly looked back at. Cause I think we all could really use a little bit more honesty in the way we look yeah. back. So thank you for this film. I know we ran over, but it, it, I just had a great time with this and bo- both of you, this is just a wonderful film. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank do you your so inner much. teen work. You got to do your inner teen work. That's what we say. You know? <laughs> Well, if you don't, it'll come out in so many other gross ways. I mean, the the number of things that I wrote down watching this, but the, what was it? The, I think that it really, oh God, what was it? Humiliation and how humiliation can feel like love if you don't know any better. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's the teen years pretty much. That's my, that was my experience with teen love. So yeah. And in fact, you can really fuck up for a long time where when people start treating you well, you don't allow it in because you, because it's not humiliating because no, that's not what love is. This is something else. I don't trust this thing. You, you, you like me, something must be wrong with you. So it takes a while. You know, I'm 47 now, but I I think I'm starting to get it all in line. Hopefully by the time I'm 60, I'll I'll be, uh, I'll have it together. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I'm a mere 43. I'm still, we're all still a work in progress, you know? (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, thank you both. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was great to meet you. You as well. You You as well. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, Chris. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Today's episode of the Following Films Podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So the last time I went into Bookman's, I went straight over to the movie section, as I often do. And I was so excited because... One of my favorite things that happens when I go in there, I'm looking for a movie and I don't know exactly what I want to see, something I've been meaning to see, and there's a blind spot. And when I saw East of Eden, I was super excited because it's a movie I've been wanting to see for years, but for whatever reason, I've just never gotten around to it. So the film adaptation of John Steinbeck's East of Eden, it's a powerful cinematic achievement. I, I know I'm not the first person to say this, but... It absolutely does justice to the novels, what can only be described as profound themes and the complex characters. 
It's directed by uh, Kazan and features outstanding performances uh, from the whole cast, but mainly here by James Dean as uh, Cal Trask. The film captures the essence of the book while adding its own visual and emotional dimension. Uh, The cinematography, which looks absolutely incredible in 4K, captures the rugged beauty of the California landscape. So it sets the stage for this intense family drama that unfolds throughout the film. And the screenplay manages to condense this complex novel that is East of Eden without feeling truncated. It makes this really intricate plot takes that and then just condenses it down and really only gets the essential elements of it and all the themes are still intact with love jealousy and the struggle between good and evil that's all there and it doesn't feel like a lesser than it feels like a compliment to um if you've read east of eden and haven't seen the film definitely catch up on it highly recommend it if you've only seen the film and haven't read the book definitely check out the book as well it's worth your time Uh, But in the movie, James Dean's portrayal of the troubled Cal, it's nothing short of iconic. Uh, It showcases his raw talent and charisma. The supporting cast is also incredible, especially Julie Harris, I think does an equally compelling job here um, with just an outstanding performance. And there's a depth and authenticity to these characters that wasn't very common for this time. So it's something pretty remarkable here. Uh, East of Eden, it's absolutely a classic that continues to resonate uh, to this day, still holds up. Um, I think that's mainly because of its exploration of human nature and the complexity of family dynamics. It's a timeless masterpiece that deserves a place in the annals of cinematic history. I I think it's there. It just took me a long time to catch up with it. Uh, This is a must-watch for anyone who appreciates powerful storytelling and exceptional performances. So remember... Next time you go to Bookman's, they have your cool covered. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for thanks for chatting with me. Well, I literally was uh, just re-watching the opening sequence of the film uh, before we wow. jumped on here. I wanted to give myself a couple extra minutes because this is one of my favorite openings of the film I've seen in quite some time. Um an almost unrecognizable Justin Long in this film. How did the casting for him come together? Yeah, I mean, he he was definitely like on our on our list pretty early. I mean, I've been a fan of his for a long time. You know, like I really like his work in like um, you know stuff like the weird stuff like Tusk. You know, yeah, like great one. Like, you know, and, and with even things that play him a little more straight, like Drag Me to Hell is still a great kind of horror comedy. But I love like the kind of weird turns he does and stuff like Idiocracy. You know, yeah, of but course. I've been a fan of his since Galaxy Quest. So it, you know, it's, but um. But he definitely like um, is a very intelligent performer. It comes in with a ton of ideas, you know. So like, and he really was very upfront about the fact that he wanted to kind of bring a bit of a different look to it, you know. And you know, and and that's kind of what we were hoping as well because he has a bit of like a nice guy assumption about him, you know, just because the type of parts that he's that he's sort of taken over the years, and um, and he just has a very kind of affable sort of attitude. And um, I you know, was, I kind of wanted to play him a bit like a bigger villain. Cause it's like, we have a sort of a fantastical Christmas story, you know? And so we can, we have a bit of a room to play with there. Um, you know, in terms of like everyone's all, else is pretty grounded and he can be a little out there and he just ran with that. You know, like he, he came in with like, he's like, he's like, I've got this idea for like the look, I want this guy to have a certain amount of artifice. We started, you know, like the spray tan, like the teeth, you know, yeah. the, 
contact lenses, you know, like, and, um, and like the studio was a little bit, you know, worried about it. They were like, is he going to wear like a fake nose? Like, what are we doing here? And I, and I was, um, and I was like, no, no, no. Like he's after something. And so it, for me, it was just more about shaping that and kind of being like, you know, we as a production kind of bought the ticket. We, we should take this ride, you know? And, uh, and, and it was, um, you know, like that on set, you know, like he came in with a ton of ideas and he's just kind of a fire hose of, of, of good ideas. He's often in character kind of between takes and things. And, and so it becomes, um, for me about picking up as much of the great stuff as I can, and then sort of give myself a position where I can sort of shape it with our editor and kind of like, you know, um, it, it, you know, and as a result, you can, um, uh, you know, you can find some really fun stuff in there. And, and even like, you know, like I think he really liked doing the commercial cause it's like largely improvisational and like, you know, the Kung Fu stuff. And anyway, it, it was, um, you know, I think he was, he was having fun and getting into it. Cause you know, um, I think it's, it's fun to play a guy who's, you know, it's fun to play a bad guy, you know? Of course. But, and he does it so well. If you look at like you, Look at this and Barbarian next to each other. Could not be more different villains of the pieces, but they are absolutely. absolutely, And like in this, though, the choices that he's making, it doesn't feel like a this is the thing I want to do because it's fun. It actually feels character driven because there is this there was a it's a shell of a man that's hiding these things behind a spray tan, behind capped teeth, behind all these things. There was a human in there at one point. But where is it now? Yeah, definitely. And and you can kind of see those moments like like that was the other thing is we were a little bit um worried, you know, like because like, you know what because you can't really see because when you're getting things made like the veneers and stuff like that, and yeah. you, know, you can't always see the whole thing together until like the day. And so we were on like our fourth day of shooting as the first time Justin was there, and um and he came in and it was the scene where he sort of um uh uh sort of confronting this guy about selling his land and trying to, you know, sort of get it getting more or less turned down for this big kind of real estate deal that his character has going on. And you can see like the real like anger in it. And, and you know, and then you're like, oh, this, this is going to work. Like, you know, he's yeah. really like there's something behind it. Like he's, he's, he's all coming from this emotional core. And, and, and as long as we could see that, we just wanted to make sure that, that that sort of worked because the story, you know, does some outlandish things. Um, but he was really, he really understood it in an emotional way that helped kind of make the whole thing work. Oh, absolutely. Because the rest of the performances here, for the most part, are very grounded, like you were talking about, that you need to have an emotional, core to this story because it goes pretty far um this is the horror and this it does not pull punches you go pretty hard with the with you know some of the moments here so it's something but it still manages to be funny at the same time so and that's a difficult balance to pull off and i feel like the movie it's not giving up on one in service of the other it's kind of moving back and forth between these two where the the thriller elements still hit very hard, but then it has very funny moments at the same time. And that's a really tough balance to pull off that I don't know audiences appreciate how tough that is. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, weirdly, like I'm, I'm kind of, um, you know, I've made a couple of horror comedies at this point, yeah. like, and I, I like, it's, it's a bit, it's sort of my bread and butter, like, because, and I think partly because a lot of people are scared of it. Like, um, you know, people like when I first started taking scripts out, you know, 10 years ago, people were really like, Hey, you know, there's some jokes in this horror movie. Like what's going on with that? Like what, what I thought we're supposed to be scared, you know? And you're like, Hey guys, like you can experience more than one emotion in an hour and a half, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it's, and the audience actually really responds to that. And, and uh, I think it works so well because they're both grounded in misdirection, like comedy and horror, you know? So you're always, um, you know, kind of like building up an expectation and then making a laugh or building up an expectation and then scaring people. And, and you can, um, kind of cleanse the palate a lot of ways that allows you to kind of take that roller coaster ride in a little, in, in a specific way. You just have to be, um, honest with yourself about where and how you want to apply those tools. And so I try and, um, gather as much stuff as, as I can on set so that I can, um, you know, 
give myself some options editorially to kind of work on the balance because you you have to be careful um you know and and you can sort of tell if a movie's too silly you know and 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 this movie had more of a 50 50 you know kind of comedy horror sort of mix to it whereas like some of the stuff i've done earlier was a bit more like 70 30 comedy girls that were exactly yeah. yeah yeah and so so like that's um you have to just be careful about um you know how you're sort of um uh, balancing these things and 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 Michael's script had a lot of those ideas in there but like a lot of it's very execution dependent because you can write a line that's intended to be funny but but the delivery may make it less so or more so or they may you know there might be other things you're chasing down and you just have to be you know like um honest with yourself and listen to the audience you know like we like to test things and show show people and see how they're reacting well and both you know both of these films though I think that they're really at their hearts about relationships though and about outside forces that wedge themselves into relationships and kind of um is really kind of this idea that you're playing with in both these films as different as they might be because they are very very different from one another even though you call them horror comedies uh they would fit into that category but mm-hmm. they are absolutely they're driven by character more than anything else i'd say for sure yeah i mean and like you have to kind of keep a bead on those on those kind of key relationships. And like in this movie, it's, it's um, Winnie and Bernie and their, yeah. and their kind of journey together. And uh, as long as that is feeling authentic, um, th- that's the thing that I, I find, um, like I heard um, like Jason Reitman talk when I was at AFI. Uh, and then he said something about like, I have a really hard time telling, I mean, paraphrasing, but like I, he has a really hard time telling um, if, uh, things are good on set, you know, like, like you know, as a director. And, and I was like, oh, that sounds like a bad thing, you know. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, it's more about um, figuring out whether you believe something, you know. Like, mm-hmm. and and you can tell authenticity. Whereas, like, because uh, you but but the context of set really doesn't allow you to to adjudicate quality very well. But you can tell if something is true. Um, and so you and so like you know um and that uh, so as long as you're paying attention to that, then then it's um it's a little bit easier. Um, uh, to kind of figure out like, you know, um, if you've got something, you know, like if you, if you already want to go another take and, and, and I, um, I think that's a really good way to think about it. Cause, um, cause it's, it ultimately is serving like the dramatic arc of any given thing, even if it's like the most outlandish comedy in the world, you know? Oh, oh, absolutely. It has to work or you have to buy in. You can have horror can be very forgiving, uh, horror audiences where they can really, they'll, they'll allow for a lot of things to happen in the film that might not be emotionally true. They might just hang it on a gag and that's the reason they enjoy a movie. But really the ones that you revisit and go back to are the ones that are emotionally driven. They're the ones that have a core center that there's something they're trying to say beyond just the gag. Now, don't get me wrong. I've, I, there's plenty of movies that I love that are they don't have a ton of substance to them, but the ones that I really truly cherish and love, those are ones that have, you know, some headier ideas on their mind as, you know, you might have to scratch around to find it, but they're there for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I like, I mean, I'm a big horror fan myself and, and like, I, um, you know, what I like about horror fans is they're always kind of leaning in, you know, that they're always yeah. like, they sit down wanting to love a movie. Like, you know, and, and that's not always the case I find. Like, I find that like, you know, I go to see a lot of like, you know, kind of capital D dramas and like half the people in the audience are expecting to fucking hate this movie, you know, like, and, and horror fans don't go in with that mindset. Yeah. And, um, and as a result, you get relative, like, especially when it's a, when it's like a group experience, you get a very reactive crowd a lot of the time. And that's because they're there to have fun, you know? And, and, um, and, and so if you can, um, keep the journey um you know meaningful for them but then also kind of deliver on on a, like the details and like these sort of staple things you can kind of make a movie about anything and and i i really love that i and and I, actually i really do appreciate that 
point of view on it because you're right when you go to see uh something that has been getting a ton of good press out of sundance or it's an oscar favorite for the year the audience kind of sits down with their arms folded saying like okay prove it to me show me what you got and then when you go into a genre film the audience tends to have this reaction that is oh i'm I'm in for the ride i've heard the good things about this i'm ready let's do this it's not prove it. it's yeah let's go and there's yeah. an enthusiasm right away where they want to see the thing that other people are seeing which is pretty unique yeah, totally. And, you know, like, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I love having a good time at the movies. So, you know, like it's uh, I mean, that's kind of why I go most of the time. Um, but, you know, like I, I and and, uh, you know, I think there's enough cynicism in the world. And that's part of why hmm. I, uh, you know, I, what really attracted me to the script in the first place is like it, it does have kind of an uplifting sort of message to it. And like, um, you know, like, you know, I mean, hey, people may or may not like the movie, but like I do think it's it means well, you know, like like and and, and it is trying to you know, like add a little value, um, in a, you know, uh, you know, so it, uh, you know, and that's kind of at the end of the day, as a storyteller, kind of all you can hope for. It really does have a sweet core, which is very strange to say, but about this film, but there is a, there is a genuine likability to this film that there is a good center to this. There's something that you can hang your hat on in that way. And it's something that does not feel cynical, um, which when you watch a lot of films that look like this, that, you know, they might look like a Hallmark film. they, they are cynical in their execution, but not cynical in their message. And I think you can feel the cynicism in them. And this could be cynical in some of its message, but it's actually very, it's executed with, you can tell everybody is hundred percent on board here where there could, I mean, not, I don't think the message of this film is cynical, but there's elements of it that are, and I, that's where I think yeah, that there's some I satire. Buy yeah, for sure. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's, um, you know, and, and we kind of, um, you know, like, like there's a bit of a toxic positivity thing going on that we were, we were, we discussed a lot, um, you know, and uh, you know, that's definitely something that sort of is in this sort of corporate package version of, of Christmas. But at the same time, like you also are spending time with family, you know, you are, spending, you know, like you are trying to take that, go that extra money, you're trying to be a better person. You're trying to take stock of things. And um, we just wanted to make sure that those elements were in there, even though we do have a lot of satire, we're kind of poking fun at things. Um, and, uh, you know, cause it's all part of the ride, but ultimately we end up on the side of like, you know, we believe it. Oh, absolutely. And that, that's, it, I think that you have to have that sort of, you can, like you said, feel two things at once. And that's generally my relationship with Christmas as a whole. Anyway, it is two feelings at once. Yes. This is a ridiculous thing that I absolutely adore. I, yeah, yeah. Everything, every complaint that you have about it and consumerism and all these things. Yeah, they're abs- absolutely. Those are all. 100% there but at the end of the day it's something that I I have a 7-year-old and a 13-year-old and nothing makes me happier than that morning and living it through their eyes again. Yeah, that's awesome man. Um yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I I'm uh, I'm pumped to uh you know, like it work it working on this this Christmas movie all year. I've been kind of really pumped to get back to Christmas actually. So. <laughs> well, I this is my way to get into it. So that this was a fun way to kind of bridge that gap starting with uh watching this on Halloween going right into Christmas so kind of <laughs> in between those two I think it fits perfectly in there and uh, congratulations on it man you got something special here had a great time with it awesome thank you so much I appreciate uh you taking the time to chat no it was great to meet you man and uh, just a si- side note thing and tragedy girls is fantastic film man love that one oh awesome thank you so much yeah I mean I, I yeah I mean it's a special one to me so I'm 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 glad it's been interesting because like it's people are still finding it you know like I get like messages on you know like on media social media just like kind of like people like it's like hey somebody in minneapolis watched the movie and like you know like like loved it and then like you know it's been like five years <laughs> well it's going to be one of those ones that it um 
while it might it might be a snapshot in time at a moment i think there's themes in that movie that will be relevant 30 40 years from now it'll be one of those movies that kind of like the john hughes films of the 80s that you can there's still stuff that you can that will be true 30 40 years from now in that film so i think people continue to discover that for generations to come man you got that's a one of my favorites so love it awesome well thank you so much <laughs> all right thanks tyler appreciate it man bye bye to figure you out Time enough to write this down Wish me luck, give me hope
always crack.